Divine Providence, that's the story on the third Sunday of Easter. This is Oro Valley Catholic, and I'm Father John Arnold. The entire story of Scripture, from the first book, that is Genesis, to the very last, Revelation, is the story of divine providence. A providence, that is divine providence, is how God provides for us in human history, in his creation. St. Augustine of Hippo and St. Thomas Aquinas both believe that God, in his divine providence, exercised care and foresight for his creation and our well-being. We don't hear that much about divine providence anymore because human beings believe in the doctrine of progress. The doctrine of progress is that by our own human efforts, humanity's gonna get better year after year. How's that working for us? Anyway, let's go back to God's plan divine providence. God did not will our fall from grace. God pursued Adam and Eve and their descendants after they were cast out from the Garden of Eden into the wasteland of sin that we call the world. Because of divine providence, there is the possibility of history, that is, a human story that's going somewhere, as opposed to a human story that's going nowhere. History is not just one damn thing after another. It's a story. There's lots of damnable things in the human story. But the story itself, even the train wrecks in a human story, divine providence brings good out of it. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because God is providential, because his providence extends beyond the provision of a garden in the east and pursues us into the desert of sin and death, there's progress towards a goal. There is the possibility of history. History's a story. It's a story in human language about what human events mean. Scripture, especially the Old Testament, is sacred history. It's a story about how God talks to us, God works with us, God shapes our understanding and helps influence the direction of this story by, that's it, divine providence. Disasters notwithstanding, we're going somewhere. God educates us as individuals and as people. Here's what St. Augustine wrote in The City of God. The City of God's one of those classic Catholic works, and he wrote it after Alaric the Visigoth sacked Rome, which was shocking that Rome was sacked even the Carthaginians under Hannibal weren't able to pull that off. But once Rome went down, oh my gosh, the handwriting was on the wall. So St. Augustine sat down and wrote probably his longest book called City of God. To, to Romans and to Augustine, who was a child of Rome, it seemed like the end of the known world. And in an important way, it was the end of one part of our history, but the beginning of another part of our history because God brought the modern world out of the smoking wreckage of Rome. Our world is rooted in the destruction of Rome as a political entity. We're always building on Roman ideas, even though we don't recognize it. And so in reflecting on the sack of Rome, here's what St. Augustine wrote about divine providence. The right education of humanity in general so far as the people of God is concerned, like the right education of a single individual, advances through certain eras of time 
as if by the stages of an individual's growth and development, mounting up from temporal things to a comprehension of eternal things, and from visible things to invisible things. Augustine's comparing the history of nations to how an individual grows from being a child to an adult. Now there's meaning in history, right? That somehow every age unfolds in a more profound way God's plan for the world. Now about two or 300 years before St. Augustine, St. Irenaeus, another early church father, writing within 80 years, 100 years of the apostolic age when the last apostle died. Irenaeus saw divine providence operative also. And so he wrote in his book, by this arrangement, therefore, in these harmonies, in a sequence of this nature, man, a created and organized being, is rendered after the image and likeness of the uncreated God. Divine providence is what helps shapes us. So, lots of damnable things in history, lots of horrible things. But you know, we wouldn't even know they were horrible unless we had a sense of who God was. Have you ever thought that our whole understanding of good and evil really requires that we understand a God that loves us, that intends for our world to be a particular way. Otherwise, good and evil is just another name for things I like and things I don't like. But to say that the death camps are not part of God's plan, well, that's to say that divine providence is operative in the world. Uh, it's hard to make any coherence out of the meaning of history without the Christian understanding of divine providence. Even those who don't believe rely in some sense on a notion of divine providence when they think we should have a planet that doesn't warm up. Because if they believe that there is no point to it, well, maybe there are some species that get along better on a warmer planet. It's uh, incoherent without a notion that somehow the human story is supposed to continue on that there's a purpose to the human story. So this is what I think is at the heart of the Christian story. We live in a fallen world, and the story of our salvation is how God raises us up from our fall, the muck of human history. He redirects our gaze to his presence and all we say and do. That's Irenaeus and Augustine, going from temporal things, the stuff of this world, to eternal things. So think about that as you think about the gospel, because the gospel is all about divine providence. It's the story of Cleopas and his friend as they flee from Jerusalem. Friends are going the wrong way. All the action's right behind them. Why is it that human beings run away from the truth? But then he encounters this stranger on the road. We know it's the risen Jesus. And Cleopas gets some learning laid on him. And that learning is called the understanding of divine providence in salvation history. Yes, salvation comes from the Jews. It's more than mere coincidence that the stranger upbraids Cleopas, not for knowing the script, not for not knowing the scriptures, because Cleopas probably read the scriptures all the time. But he gets criticized by Jesus for not believing them, not putting his trust in them the importance of sacred scripture. That's in this story too. The stranger helps both men understand the meaning of scripture and then in the breaking of the bread reveals himself as the risen Christ, divine wisdom, God's wise providence. 
It is a mere coincidence that at every Mass, we reflect on the Scriptures. No, that's not a mere coincidence. We do it because of this story. We do it, this is why the early church did it. We can't know what you're doing in the Eucharist unless you understand the Scriptures. The Scriptures are is God cloaked in human language. My friends, every time we go to Mass and the Scriptures open for us, the meaning of God's Word, and then we break the bread together, you and I are walking on this road with Cleopas and Jesus. Well, I've decided to entitle this part of the podcast, Fleeing and Believing. It's the idea that by running away, maybe you're learning something. See, the gospel is the story of these two sojourners fleeing a disaster. It's our story. Why were these two men fleeing Jerusalem? Aren't they headed the wrong direction? They're missing all the action. They've heard the story of the empty tomb. It says that right in the gospel. They heard about the angels. They've heard the whole story of the risen Jesus, but they're not connecting the dots. Remember when the stranger hears this whole sad story of why they're running away? Of course, it's Jesus listening to a story he knows very well. He doesn't criticize them because they didn't study the scripture. He says the problem with them is they don't believe them. So here's what he says in the gospel today. Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the Old Testament, my friend, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. Because Jesus loved them, he didn't add at the end, and you ought to grow up. So compare Cleopas and his friend's confusion with the forceful, focused preaching of St. Peter in the second reading. Now I want you to listen to St. Peter because you couldn't preach like St. Peter without the understanding of the Old Testament that that Jesus is telling Cleopas on the road in the gospel. So here's Peter's preaching. Listen to it and think about how Peter talks about Jesus. Beloved, if you invoke as father him who judges impartially according to each one's works, Conduct yourselves with reverence during the time of your sojourning. Realize that you are ransomed from your feudal conduct, handed on by your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a spotless, unblemished lamb. So, wait a minute. We're sitting in the pews at St. Mark, or you're probably sitting at home, or maybe in the seat of your car. How are you a sojourner? So how does it that St. Peter comes up with Jesus as a sheep? We're so used to this language, but we don't see where it's rooted. And that's what this podcast is about, because it's what the readings are about. Few of, first, a few basic things. So why does Peter call his listeners sojourners? We know a sojourner is a traveler, right? It's kind of a fancy name for being on a trip, because you're going somewhere. That's the key of it. But this is it rooted in language. The word we translate as sojourner is from the Greek word, listen to this, paroikias. The word is derived from two Greek words, par, which means next to or with, and oikos, which means house. 
A person who is a paroikos is literally someone dwelling beside the house. A traveling salesperson might camp in your front yard. A traveling merchant might camp near your pool in the backyard. Or a pilgrim on his way to a religious site may ask to sleep on the sidewalk out in front of the house. They're all paroikoses in the Greek. It's also the root word, just listen to this, for where we get the word parishioner. When you're a parishioner at St. Ambrose, you get paroikos, parishioner. Uh, it is our modern translation, uh, transliteration of paroikos. We're all sojourners because our history is going someplace. We're in the hands of divine providence. Every Christian's on a journey, making an exodus just like the ancient Israelites did, out of slavery to the promised land, out of Egypt to Canaan, out of Oral Valley and Marana, and perhaps even parts of Tucson and unincorporated Pima County will allow that. We're on our way to a promised land where Jesus is king. In short, we're passing through. Material reality is not our end. This is going someplace. Divine providence. So question number two. Why does Peter refer to the unblemished lamb? What's that all about? Well, Peter refers to Christ as the true lamb without blemish or spot. So if you go back to the Old Testament, when you're making a sacrifice of a lamb, you're always supposed to find this pure one that's unblemished. Do not sacrifice a lamb with a club foot or cauliflower ears. God wants the first of every herd. So the best you got to give. The Greek word Christos, that's how we get the word Christ, as in Jesus Christ. Christos means anointed one. It comes from the, the Hebrew word for Messiah. Anointed like a king or a prophet is anointed in the Old Testament. To be anointed when King David was anointed or a prophet is anointed, that means you're chosen by God. You're appointed. You're selected. So to say he's the Christ, which means God chose the sacrifice. Just like in the story of Abraham and Isaac. The lamb is the sacrifice chosen for the Passover meal in the book of Exodus. And the people are commanded to sacrifice the lamb and to mark the lintels of their door with the blood so that the angel of death will pass them over and that they will live to make the journey to the promised land. And so we're saved by the blood of the lamb. We're saved by Jesus' blood. Where does this all come from? It comes from this story of Jesus walking down the road and explaining how the Old Test Testament explains who Jesus is. And so here's how Peter uh, brings his preaching together. But you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers. Read how we understand original sin. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So how does Jesus teach these guys so that the apostolic preaching is aware of a connection between these stories from the Old Testament and what Jesus did on the cross? Friends, it's called typology, typology. The lamb is a type. Typology is a metaphor. A metaphor is two things which on the outside are dissimilar, but on the inside, have some great similarity. I've said it before, 
To say your mom is a, a mama bear doesn't mean she roots around for berries and roots in the forest. It means that mom is as protective of her children as a mama bear is as protective of her cubs. They're completely different kinds of creatures, but they have this commonality, the love and protection of their children. That's how metaphor works. And so to say that a lamb and Jesus are compared because both make peace with God. That is how typology works. And it works all the way through the New Testament. The deeper inner meaning of metaphor, the metaphor of the lamb is of course about sacrifice. The lamb's blood was the mark of the angel of death to pass over the, Hebrew houses, uh, the Hebrews' houses in the story of Moses. And so, the story of Pharaoh and the Passover. Am I beating this to death? Do you get the point? But St. Peter makes that point in his preaching. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we've been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's how the Exodus helps us to understand how Jesus saves. Our understanding of our salvation through the cross is not explained by chemistry. It's not explained by physics. It's explained by God through divine providence in a way that everyone, everywhere, can learn the story and understand what it means. And so, when I said fleeing is believing, let's go right to the gospel. First, Cleopas. Who is Cleopas? In the Gospel of John, Jesus, this is cool, had an uncle named Cleopas. At the foot of the cross was Jesus' mother Mary and Mary's sister, says the wife of Cleopas. So probably Cleopas is Jesus' uncle. They never spell this stuff out. Don't you wish they had like a scorecard so you can keep track of all this stuff? So much of Jesus' family is involved in this story because you and I are brought into Jesus' family because we see and we believe. So Uncle Cleopas is fleeing Jerusalem. Whatever faith he had in Jesus is long gone. You remember when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Luke chapter nine, verse 20. Well, in Luke's gospel after the resurrection, if you ask uh, uh, Uncle Cleopas, his response is, well, we thought he was a prophet. We thought he was a mighty man from God, but that all puts him in the non-Messiah category for Cleopas. That's why he doesn't understand anything. He doesn't get what the Old Testament is saying about where salvation comes from. It's not repeating the patterns of the past, but in divine providence, the patterns of the past understand that a whole category change has occurred. And so when he said he had hoped in the past tense, well, that means all hope is gone. I guess it's not gonna work out, he tells the stranger. He knows the whole story, the empty tomb, the angels, reports that they've seen him alive, but he just can't connect the dots. And that is when Jesus upbraids him and tells him that, yeah, you read the Bible, you just don't believe it. And then here's what Luke says. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. That is why the church understands Jesus in the light of the Old Testament. Okay, here's a story from my past. When I had my first assignment as a parish priest in uh, Yuma, 
I was uh, part of RCIA. I had done RCIA when I was a parishioner at St. Pete's when I was still practicing law. But this was, I was expected to take more of a leadership role in it. So I'd gone through four years of seminary. I'd read the Old Testament. And I was giving this long explanation of why, of course I'm talking, of course it's going to be long. This long explanation of why the Old Testament's necessary to understand the new. And this young woman comes up to me. She wants to be a Catholic, but she's like an evangelical or something. And she says, why are we talking about the Jews? I want to hear about Jesus. Friends, Jesus wouldn't make any sense without the history of Israel. We have been prepared to understand through divine providence about what it is that God has prepared for humanity. When St. Peter talks about the unblemished lamb of God, he is using typology, this type that we've come to understand about sacrifice in the Old Testament because Abraham's gonna sacrifice Isaac and God provides a ram. Moses tells the people of Israel, we're, we're getting out of here, so slaughter a, ram, uh, slaughter a lamb and put the blood across your lintel. In the, in the uh, sacrifices, in the altar in Jerusalem, what is it? It's lambs. And so that's the type. But now one sacrifice, Jesus has replaced them all. So divine providence, that God set us up to understand eternal things according to Irenaeus and St. Augustine by the stories of the Old Testament. It's why we say salvation comes from the Jews. Jesus is a Jew, Mary is a Jew, the scriptures are all Jewish uh, in the larger 12 tribes of Israel. But if you notice in the story of divine providence, how it's present in the Mass you and I celebrate, either together at St. Mark's or online. I mean, think about it. In this story, Jesus speaking through the Scriptures, God speaking through the Scriptures, opens up Cleopas, good old Uncle Cleopas, and his friend so that they might understand. The second part of the story is that they ask Jesus to please stay with them because their hearts are set on fire with how much God loves them. The story has so excited them. And so Jesus comes in, has a seat with them. And then you remember what it says, they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. In the mass, we would say the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. It's why we Catholics, have as a central part of our practice, the source and summit of Catholic faith, the Eucharist. It's why people feel so left out when you're only participating in mass online. Spiritual communion is a beautiful thing, but we want Jesus with some skin on him. We want Jesus present with us. And that's what the Eucharist is. So what do you think in God's divine providence? If God walked down the road and explained to Uncle Cleopas and his pal how all the scriptures explained what Jesus had done. What do you think he's explaining to you now about the Eucharist, about God's presence in your life? You know, God is present when out of our Catholic faith, we make choices 
that are consistent with and cooperating with God's divine providence for human history. When we sit down at the Eucharist, we're participating in divine providence. When you and I make a spiritual communion together at our masses online, yeah, it's beautiful, but don't you want the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? God present in material reality because the Eucharist says that our lives are not limited by material reality. God is leading us on a new exodus. We're coming out of this wasteland of sin and death and sadness and we're all headed for someplace else. You know, the ancient Israelites who put the blood on the lintels of their doors, that took some faith to do it. Because if the next morning they woke up and the angel of death hadn't passed through, there was going to be hell to pay, literally. And for us, we have a similar situation, don't we? We take some blowback, maybe in, uh, clearly in some parts of the world, abuse for our beliefs. But all that in our sufferings, in our dedications to our faith, we are cooperating with a bigger story that's going someplace. Because all the other stories we hear don't go anywhere. So, divine providence. Probably haven't heard much about it lately, but that is the meaning of history. God bless you. God keep you safe. This is Father John Arnold, and this has been another episode of Oral Valley Catholic.